Halloween is rated R. Can you believe it? Hey, it's Tim. It's your horror hotline for Thursday, August 2nd, 2018. Yeah, that's right. So Halloween, the new Halloween movie coming out in 2018, later this year, October. Uh, Ryan Turek, one of the producers, uh, former, well, maybe still writer, um, but one of the producers on the new Halloween works for Blumhouse, tweeted out yesterday, Halloween rated R for horror violence, bloody images, language, brief drug use, and nudity. Hashtag Halloween movie. So this is not really a surprise. I guess there were some people that may have been concerned this was going to be PG-13 because Blumhouse has made PG-13 movies in the past. The original Halloween isn't really like a hard R, so it's not really that important to me anyway. But hey, good for the people that are like super stoked about this um, as far as it being R. Um, I mean, I guess. I guess, yay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just predict each one of these things now, what what it's going to be. Of course, horror violence and bloody images, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I tried to get an explanation by Googling MPAA and horror violence on the MPAA website. I could not find one. Um, horror violence sounds like like a parody of like an old, like like a Rob Zombie album or something, like Thunder Love Horror Violence Acid Trip or something like that. Uh, I assume that's referring to, I assume the horror violence and bloody images are referring to like Michael Myers stabbing people um, or even people like stabbing Michael, vice versa. Brief drug use. I think the easy guess is one of the younger kids, but I think we're going to get a shot of Lori like on her couch hitting a J or something like to, just to take some of the edge off. She's been on her own. She lives out in the woods. It seems in this, I think she like, I think she sparks one up and goes and like shoots at that target practice thing in her backyard. Um, I think it would be good for her. Release some of that stress. Nudity. Uh, this is, um, I'm going to say this. Here's what I'm going to say. We are going to get, my official prediction is we're going to get a bare male butt. And then we're going to get a shot of female breasts in a scene that kind of echoes the original. I do, we don't get male butt in the original uh, movie, I don't believe. But there's a scene where it's like a post-sex scene as well. And you kind of see them both. Um, it's like a sex scene. And you see the see both uh, what I just mentioned there. Um I think we're going to get that in this movie. Now, it just says nudity. So this is not brief nudity. Usually if it's just a male butt, like you get slapped with the brief nudity tag. So this is full on nudity. It's very, very possible that we get full frontal male nudity in this as well. This is a Danny McBride, David Gordon Green movie. I can see them being progressive enough to do that. Um... As far as the odds on that, I think they're pretty low. I don't think we're... I Honestly, I just don't think we're there yet. Uh, as a culture, as a society. This would be... If there were first, if there were full front, frontal male nudity, uh, maybe a naked male penis, this would be the first time I can recall a mainline slasher movie featuring uh, nude male penis. So, I don't... I think that's true. I have not researched it. Um, I will get with Willie later today and see if we can brainstorm any. My guess, if it were to occur, would probably have been in one of the Hellraiser movies. Now, I know in one of the Friday the 13th movies, there's a skinny dipping scene where, like, you can see, 
like the under, like the, the testicles, um, kind of of a man as he runs away from, that's like an accidental. I'm talking and on purpose. I, my guess would be maybe one of the Hellraisers or maybe one of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies where you would get to see a full frontal, uh, male, uh, penis. Um, but as far as odds are for this one, I'm going to say like 25% that that's what this is referring to. I'm guessing it's probably, um, what I said, which is male butt, female breasts. So there you go. I have now, uh, those are my predictions for what we will be seeing in the new Halloween movie. Fred Decker was on postmortem. Fred Decker, of course, writer of, uh, he did Monster Squad. He's done Predator. He's doing the new Predator with Shane Black. Um, this is postmortem with Mick Garris. I bring this up. This is one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite podcasts out there right now. It's basically Mick Garris director. He's done a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Um, he's a director, but where I think he's really found his groove is in this, in the podcasting world. He will sit down with a writer, director, some sort of horror artist and he will just talk with him for an hour and he's a great interviewer um most of this fred decker was focused on monster squad there's about 40 minutes of the podcast that is him relaying stories about the making of and his own thoughts on the film there is some star trek enterprise talk yeah um and a little bit of tales from the crypt talk as well um and then there's about five minutes of predator talk at the very end nothing really newsworthy he calls it a throwback he calls the new predator a throwback to the movies he loved while he was in college he calls it a an adventure sci-fi comedy he says the archetypes from the first movie are updated for 2018 and he kind of have his the most interesting quote to me when talking about the new predator movie was the difference in how we treat veterans now versus how we did in the 80s, um, Army veter- uh, Armed Forces veterans, and how that ties into the film. He said he called the new characters kind of the cast-aside um, folks that are make up the new Predator. So really it's mainly focused on Monster Squad, and which is good for me. I, would, that's, I love the movie. So the But the entire episode is definitely worth, worth listening. Once again, that's post-mortem podcast with Mick Garris, hosted by Mick Garris. You can find it. It's part of the Blumhouse, I think, um, podcasting network, that and Shockwave. I think they've got a new show coming out where um, they play some sort of horror RPG. Um, I don't know. I think? We'll see. Um, so, yeah, that's really it as far as the news goes today. Um, Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories is a movie I just watched this past weekend. I'm going to do a little review here. Jump out now if you don't want spoilers. I'll be back tomorrow with something i'm gonna do a weekend preview see uh see what's out i did not get a chance to watch castle rock i'll be honest i probably won't get a chance to watch it until the weekend i'll probably be back monday with like kind of my annotated castle rock review and stuff but here's ghost stories um ghost stories i want to start off once again jump out if you're afraid of spoilers there's this old stephen king essay i'm sure a lot of you have read it um it's from, I know it's in his book, Dan, Dance Macabre, um, but it's from an old Stephen King essay called Why We Crave Horror Movies. So I'm going to start off with this, just this passage. I'm going to read it off for you. The potential lyncher is in all of us, and every now and then he has to be let loose to scream and roll around in the grass. 
Our emotions and our fears form their own body, and we recognize that it demands its own exercise to maintain proper muscle tone. Certain of these emotional muscles are accepted, even exalted, in civilized society. They are, of course, the emotions that tend to maintain the status quo of civilization itself. Love, friendship, loyalty, kindness. These are all emotions that we applaud, emotions that have been immortalized in the couplets of Hallmark cards and in the verses, I don't care, call it poetry, or I don't dare call it poetry, of Leonard Nimoy. Hey, an unwarranted shot at Nimoy. But anti-civilization emotions don't go away, and they demand periodic exercise. We have such sick jokes, at, sick jokes as, what's the difference between a truckload of bowling balls and a truckload of dead babies? You can't unload a truckload of bowling balls with a pitchfork. A joke, by the way, that I heard originally from a 10-year-old. I delivered that really well, by the way. Uh, such a joke may surprise a laugh or grin out of us, even as we recoil. A possibility that confirms the thesis, if we share a brotherhood of man, then we also share an insanity of man. None of which is intended as a defense of either the sick joke or insanity, but merely as an explanation of why the best horror films, like the best fairy tales, manage to be reactionary, anarchistic, and revolutionary at the same time. The mythic horror... The mythic horror movie, like the sick joke, has a dirty job to do. It deliberately appeals to all that is worst in us. Its morbidity unchained, our most base instincts let free, our nastiest fantasies realize. And it all happens fittingly enough in the dark. For those reasons, good liberals often shy away from the horror film. For myself, I like to see the most aggressive of them. Dawn of the Dead, for instance, as lifting a trap door in the civilized forebrain and throwing a basket of raw meat to the hungry alligators swimming around in the subterranean river beneath. Why bother? Because it keeps them from getting out, man. It keeps them from getting down there and up and me up here. It keeps them down there and me up here. It was Lennon McCartney who said all you need is love, and I would agree with that, as long as you kept as long as you keep the gators fed. Yeah, so that's from the Stephen that's from Stephen King's essay, I believe, in the late 70s, early 80s, called Why We Crave Horror Movies, pontificating kind of on the catharsis that comes along with watching horror movies. I've thought about that essay a lot recently as I've gotten older, because at least in my own experience, you start to notice just, like, the horrible things around you a lot more. I watch, like, I watch news a lot more than when I was a younger, like, teenage horror fan growing up. And for the most part, the news is a horror show in itself. So I've asked myself, like, why do you watch more horror movies as an adult? Like, what are you gaining from this? And that kind of catharsis is that King talks about in his essay is what I always come back to as, like, the reason for me. I don't talk about, like, death and dying much. Like, it's not something I bring up in everyday normal conversation. Why would I bring it up to just anybody out on the street? I don't even want to talk about it right now. I'm just bringing it up. Um, it's, like, it's just too early for this nonsense. But I'm bringing it up because it kind of ties into ghost stories. So I'll make it quick. Watching horror movies is kind of my way of talking about death. And it's a one-sided conversation that kind of takes place totally within my head. But... Horror allows me to engage with death by laughing at it, thinking about it, talking through it, witnessing the characters confront of it, confront it, all of those things. Horror films, they are empowering in their own way because they allow me to kind of have a conversation about things that would normally make me uncomfortable to talk about. Kind of like now. Uh, but we deal with death by sharing stories about death. So that kind of brings me to Ghost Stories. The 2000, it's a 2017 British horror film. 
It was released recently on VOD and theatrically, so I'm counting it as a 2018 movie. Um, it's written and directed by Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson and adapted from their stage play. Nyman stars in the lead role, reprising that role from the play. And Paul Whitehouse, Alex Lothar, and Martin Freeman are all in supporting roles in the movie. Uh, here's the plot. Professor Philip Goodman has devoted his life to exposing phony psychics and supernatural frauds. His skepticism soon gets put to the test when he receives news of three chilling and inexplicable cases. Disturbing visions in an abandoned asylum, a car accident deep in the woods, and the spirit of an unborn child. Excuse me. Even scarier, each of the macabre stories seem to have a sinister connection to the professor's own life. That's just kind of a basic plot breakdown. I'm not going to get too much into the plot. There is something in the movie that I do want to stay away from spoiler-wise in case anybody wants to see this. And I think you should. It's a good movie. Um, the film itself is very much reminiscent of those old Amicus-style horror films. Um, if you're familiar with those, films like Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, The House of Drip Blood, Tales from the Crypt, Asylum, Vault of Horror. Um, these films would typically feature a couple... A few short horror stories linked by a narrator. If you're Tales from the Crypt is probably the most familiar of the bunch. So if you remember, like the, if you remember that, that's kind of the idea. Um, when Ghost Stories is at its best, it's exploring its main character, Philip Goodman, Goodman, played by Nyman. Nyman is a skeptic, and he uses that skepticism to prove those who believe otherwise wrong, and in turn re kind of reinforce his own worldview. My favorite parts of Ghost Stories revolve around Philip's lack of faith being tested by the things he sees and hears from the stories he investigates. Goodman is, Goodman is incredibly smug, and he says things like, the brain sees what it wants to see, and he says to priests, like, what do you do when a grown man comes to you and says he had a supernatural experience? And then he proceeds to chalk up the things people see to stuff like mental issues and or alcoholism. I really liked the first two-thirds of the movie. It's a different movie than I expected. It's a movie that places its skeptic, kind of skeptic atheist, hardcore atheist lead character at the center, questions him, and then turns the table on him in the process. Goodman is a lot more closed-minded than I think he thinks he is, and Ghost Story presents him as a man who is willing to question people to a point, but backs off, and he only questions them in a way that ends up reinforcing his own closed-mindedness in the end. Um... I've never had a supernatural experience myself. One night when I was a kid, I was convinced like I was visited by like an English church grim, like a big black dog. Uh, but I think it was just my dog. And I think it was just peeing on the carpet like while everybody was asleep. I do know several people that have claimed to have had them, though. I have not been around them when they have. I have no firsthand proof. But like, who am I to question these people? They've. I've always found uh, most of these people. I'm. I'm going to say most of them, because I'm thinking back if I had there a couple, I'm like, come on, guy. Uh, but they seem to be smart, well-adjusted, normal people. So, like, once again, who am I to question what they saw or even what they believe they've seen? I wasn't there. And in the end, that's kind of what Ghost Stories, at least the first two-thirds of Ghost Stories, is all about. Um, this is kind of treading into spoiler ter territory, so I'll be... I'll be careful, but Ghost Stories is about the stories that people tell themselves, whether they be supernatural or otherwise, to help them deal with death and the afterworld and the next realm, whatever you want to call it. In the end, no matter what you believe, here on Earth we're all kind of trapped in our own human bodies, our feet are anchored to the Earth, we're not like the birds up in the sky, and to, and to kind of escape them, we're forced to tell each other 
well, ghost stories or make horror movies or just tell stories in general. It's a way for humans to break free of the human condition. Um, where ghost stories kind of stumbles for me, though, is during those scenes that present those supernatural occurrences and what the characters have seen and what they've been through. As I mentioned earlier, ghost stories is based on a stage play. And it's during those supernatural kind of spook scenes that you can kind of tell. The best parts of the film are the dialogue back and forth between the characters and them kind of discussing, well, beliefs. And much like you would much like you would find in the stage play. That's the strength of the movie for me. The spook scenes are just kind of there and kind of bland. They have their moments. Um, there's a nice, there's like a really nice deadite, like an Evil Dead style uh, deadite cam shot in the second sequence that's pretty effective. The second sequence is probably the most effective of them when it comes to, when it comes to direction. Um, but for the most part, they mistake length for tension. That first sequence, the first ghost sequence, um, the first kind of anthology segment, whatever you want to call it, is interminable. And it's not scary at all. It just kind of ambles and then a ghost shows up. Um, slight spoiler there. The other aspects, the other aspect of ghost stories that I didn't really like, and I'm very hesitant to talk about because it could be very conceived as very spoilery, so be careful. It's the ending, specifically the twist that leads into the third act. I'm trying to think of how to explain my distaste for it without spoiling everything. I do think the twist that occurs makes sense, and it gives plenty of hints along the way, so it makes sense and it's kind of clever on a narrative level. It also fits with the Amicus films that it's so obviously inspired by, but I just felt kind of let down by it. It's predictable on a thematic level more than a narr narrative level for me, and that's kind of disappointing. Ghost Stories ends in a way like its main character would have loved, as it, it questions its own beliefs to a point, and then it backs off and reinforces them at the end. I was I was a little disappointed in the ending, but overall, overall good flick, and I would I would recommend it. It's it's kind of uh, I don't want to be condescending in saying this, but it's kind of an adult horror movie. It's not just guts and blood, and there's nothing wrong with those either. Uh, but yeah, Ghost Stories. Check it out now. It's on Amazon Prime for like five bucks. Um, it's available to rent basically at this point. A VOD, Blu-ray, DVD on demand. That's it for today. I'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow will probably be pretty quick. Um, so, hey, I am on this podcast now. Let me check real quick. This is on Stitcher. I know it's on Stitcher. It's on Breaker. It's on Radio Public, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So I'm trying to get it put up on, I believe the last couple are, well, Apple Podcasts. I'm trying to get it there too. So if you like this, like and subscribe on those. I've been slacking on YouTube because YouTube takes a while to process and I do these things before I go to work and I don't want to be late for work because I'm talking about whether Halloween has full frontal male nudity. Uh, oh, let's do a quick check in on MoviePass. See if MoviePass is dead. I have not checked recently. Um, I know I think they're raising the price though. Eh, whatever. Um, it looks like it's still kicking. It looks like it's still alive. Look at that. I can see Ant-Man and the Wasp at 11.10 if I wanted to skip work. Oh, I can even see Christopher Robin. Oh, perfect. That just came out. Um, so MoviePass is still alive as of 6.27 a.m. August 2nd, 2018. Thank you for listening, everybody. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com backslash MidwestPodNet. Check out our other podcasts. Check out the main horror movie yearbook podcast, 
We uh, talked about Fear. We're going to be talking about The Brood coming up next week. I'm watching The Brood this weekend. Excited for it. We have not discussed, Willie and I have not discussed a Cronenberg movie ever on the podcast, I don't think. So I'm pretty pretty pumped for that. Oh, wait, we did discuss Jason X, which he is in. Um, but yeah, check out Gone to Texas. Check out Midwest Game Nerds. Check it all out. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I'll be back tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye.